This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Radio. We're joined by Alec Reed in the studio. He is a curator, a facilitator, a producer of art, an emerging poet. You work with communities to basically express their intersections. Uh-huh. Welcome to 3CR. It's awesome having you in the studio. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Okay, so your latest exhibition is called Black Queer Futurism. So mm-hmm. what is Black Queer Futurism? So I guess the idea behind the show was to respond to a lot of the futurism that we've been getting through in the last decade or so in terms of cinema and story, but just centering Indigenous queer perspectives within that, which I think not only integral to my own journey and the people who were within the show and our communities, but also just a way of empowering us and looking forward and challenging the sort of dynamics at play within stories of futurism. So tell us about the intersections in your own life that give you the empathy to work with communities on arts projects around issues like the expression of of gender, race and sexuality and how they all intersect with community. So basically, um, for myself, I identify as non-binary, they them pronouns, and uh, identify as pansexual, so attracted irregardless of gender. And for my own like racial background, Fijian, so part Fijian, part European, the native people of Fiji are Itauke, so I've got lines spanning back to that. And um, I think the journey for myself racially and within my queerness has been... Well, one that's obviously been a long time has sort of been easing into it in the last two or three years and sort of fighting back against all of that internalised hatred and, yeah, hatred. It's a pretty big word, but, like, reflecting upon it, yeah, it definitely felt that way. And I think in terms of arts, I think that's been the most healing process. That and community coming together with other individuals who may have felt the same or have been quite open within their expression but have used creativity as a way of expressing that I think has been one of the biggest helpers in in my own individual journey and being able to give that back with people who are just opening up to that whether that be on a race level gender level sexuality level it just kind of consolidates that journey of healing Mm. yeah beautiful So how did you come to uh, curate this exhibition, speaking of your journey? (laughs) I was very lucky that um, the person who runs Black Dot Gallery in in Brunswick, uh, Kimber Thompson, got in contact with me and basically said that she was programming with the people at Midsummer Festival and uh, that they were keen to throw something together. And she was like, you know, if you've got an idea for the show or if you chuck it my way, let's make this shit happen. Excuse my language. Um, And so (laughs) it was kind of just handed to me and basically I had to come up with a few ideas, threw them to her and she's like, okay, cool. Just try and find a co-curator and the show's on the road. (laughs) So it was very fast. It was during the Christmas period mostly. So um, there's a lot of chasing up of artists Mm. and making sure that the show actually came together before the launch, which was literally the first week of January. I come back from a family trip in Tasmania and then bang into the year. So... (laughs) It came together real fast, real suddenly, and real luckily, with obviously major help from Kimber Thompson and the co-curator, Kalyani Mumtaz. Well, could you tell us about some of the pieces in the exhibition? Yeah, sure. So it, there's three video works, one by the co-curator, Kalyani. It's a film clip from one of her recent 
tracks with her music, uh, sorry, her music duo Willow Beats. There's one of the uh, other video works, oh, sorry, there's four video works. Another one is from Hannah Bronte, who's done some amazing video works in the past. One most notably part of, uh, how am I blanking on the name right now? Um, <laughs> uh, is Black Make Triarchy maybe? It was part of Urine Boy Festival last year. It was a really beautiful video that had sort of caught my attention. I was like, I have to work with her. There's also another video work from a member of Faf Swag who are based in Auckland, a queer Pacifica sort of Vogue and dance and photography video based crew um, by Akashi Funasi, uh, Funisao pronouncing the name very wrong <laughs> gotta scrub up on my pacific uh, languages and then my own which i directed with my community collective or art community sorry art community collective called new wayfinders and it's just got a bunch of queer pacifica members based in nam melbourne um and then there's a giant work it's like a three meter long by two meter wide textile print of mm. Benji Ra who's based out in Sydney she's uh Filipinx background and I think there there yeah there are a whole bunch of billboards along the back some by Peter Waples Crow Mark. we love Peter yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's an he old was, friend of mine he was yeah. on the show for Invasion Day actually yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's just been so splendid to work with Kate Tamburin who's a close friend of mine also runs this mob an indigenous art collective my co-founder Daisy Catterall who runs New Wayfinders with me um, Tama TK Shaman who's a Maori, Maori queer elder and then the last one was Sean Miles who's also a member of New Wayfinders. So Your work is blessed. so prolific. Your themes are so <laughs> prolific. One of the themes is the journey around rediscovering language. Mm. Tell us about why that's so important to you. I, I try my best to not be so essential in accessing my culture through language, although it definitely eases that journey, being able to check in with elders who are able to pass down the knowledge in ways that, you know, can't really... It, it's not as easy to access the knowledge unless through language. That's the easiest way to explain it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think in, in a way of trying to reclaim my identity, I try my best to pick up on small pieces here and there until... So you're reclaiming your language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, in a, in a way, I guess, um, mm. just because it's there, I'm very lucky in the sense that it's there for me to access, unlike a lot of cultures, especially locally. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually keen to, at some stage in my life or career, whatever, just go back and spend some time back home in Fiji and pick up on what I can, whether that be culturally or even through language. But I like to try and separate the two, but also try and share the knowledge that I can in terms of language with those around me. Yeah. Mm. So uh, black queer futurism, it's, mm. it's rooted in black queer history? I think... It's, it's, I think I like to think of it as rooted in black queerness in the present to project a future that we, mm -hmm. yeah, we, I would love to um, do more work that is maybe more archival based or reflective of, of um, my ancestry. But for now, with the limited resources and understanding that I have, I've kind of just looked towards the future and what I've inherited just here today but I am keen to delve and to actually have some grounding in in my connection to my culture through my ancestors and elders mm. yeah mm. <laughs> we actually have a section from black queer futurism we'd like to play yeah 
Oh, yes. Okay. Mm. We're going to go to that now. So this was um, recorded by our producer, MV, the extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. I thought that queering of my body would be a more level playing field that would allow my body to kind of be amongst many bodies. For me, that's proved to be something that's healthier mm. and there's less hierarchical systems that are kind of placed within that. I think I now more identify with the ideology of Maoridom, which is called Takatabui, which is um, a gender construction or like, expression that existed in Aotearoa before pre-European settlement. My <coughs> identity of being Fafafine, you know, being from Samoa, it's a layered term, and we tend to embrace it a lot better. My identity from that, from my own, you know, drawing from my family and the support and love that I get from, has gone from that. I've never felt that I've had to kind of fully explain myself. Technically, being in a Western culture, that I had to, but when I know at the end of the day that my family at the end of the day have always got my back. I guess at the times I embodied what was appearing as feminine in certain traits, the way in which I should have held myself and then sort of being forced into roles by my parents in rugby and having to be within spaces that I knew I wasn't just it didn't wasn't clicking with me whatsoever i feel like in really um standing strong in my cultural identity i feel like um that it goes hand in hand with um standing strong in my queerness i think to embrace all of myself is to acknowledge all of that and so i think they're just inextricably linked to each other because they speak of a truth that is um both of which are not er which are erased and we don't have a lot of language around them and yeah so they kind of go hand in hand for me this coming back to body coming back to nature turning away from the confines of the english language so and i guess what's interesting as well um is um trying to kind of reconnect reconnect to your ancestry, but not knowing how to. Because it's represented to you in language, the written form, it is something that's completely um, like detached. So unfortunately, I've had, I've had to done, I've had to kind of assimilate in a certain way to kind of unassimilate. But I've done that, and I'll keep doing that. And that's provided me a critical language for myself and for people around me. It has made me more aware of the importance of diaspora, queering of family structures in some way. I, like, my experience um, and, like, my pains and confusions, like, aren't just mine. They're, like, shared. Um, and, like, when they're shared, then you can handle it. Because when it's just you, it's too much. Coming back to that word connection is so important to us, you know, and just being able to own it, even within our own, you know, our own little community. Communities such as, like, something called cutie pop cutie pies centers queer um, trans and intersex people of color and I think that coming into myself and and joining the community and having that reflected in me but then also using that as a tool to guide myself and create my own diasporic community from that with new wayfinders um, and feeling inspired by the individuals that I share common or similar experiences with and using that to create or to be as one in love is has been um, yet yeah, my form of influence and I cherish them. It liberates all of us. Like I have learnt more about myself, my own femininity, by through trans women. 
I have learned more about myself as a parent through transparency. I've, you know, because every time someone bravely speaks up their experience of that thing, I think, wow, I'm allowed to do that too. It gives permission for everyone to welcome all of themselves. So, as we liberate people of color, and particularly as we honor、um, the sacredness of First Nations people, it actually shifts culture for everybody. At least within my own time,、I、try and remove my ego from what I will see come to fruition.、Um, I think. To have a sense of realism of what I will see in my time, but just to keep pushing, keep imagining, and keep unifying, will be my goal for the future. But I, I think I, I don't know if I'd do it myself, but I'd like to see more of a push towards law and challenging the system with the system through the system, but with Indigenous knowledge and spirit at heart. Some sound grabs there from Black Queer Futurism, including from its curator Alec Reed, who joins us、mm. in the studio.、Mm. So, Alec, before you leave us, I wanted to ask you about Black Queer Futurism and if it's as a feminist space.、Mm. Yeah, <laughs> how does it, how does it intersect?、Uh, it runs parallel, I think, queerness, especially when decolonizing the certain topics of queerness and femininity. Oh, sorry, feminism. It's one of the multiple multiple feminisms as a majority that is oppressed, and I think that. They run in a linear sense with each other, and with focusing to decolonize our understandings and、so、moving away from Western interpretations or understandings or the ways in which that's enforced on Indigenous identities. Being able to work together、um, and decolonizing those identities, but also trying to advance each from a feminist standpoint, from a queering standpoint, is super important within my own work and and the sort of chats that I have with people. Within the community, so you know, keeping the advancement of oppressed majorities and in mind, but working together in unison to, you know, advance whether it's based on sexuality or gender, the disparities there.、Mm. Yeah. One and one last little question, if I could fit it in. Did you、mm. coin the term、uh, "black queer futurism"?、Uh, no, I didn't. So、oh. the the term the term "black" is actually a borrowed term from Destiny Deacon. It refers to indigenous、uh, indigeneity. In, in I'm actually forgetting which exhibition it was. It's part of MCA,、mm -hmm. but the focus was it it was going to be an and it was、um, meant to be an indigenous centered show. At Black Queer,、uh, at Black Dot Gallery, and so in devising the works, I wanted that to be a central, yeah, central point. And so I guess what worked best for it, especially Midsummer being a queer festival, was just being like straight up, just indigeneity,、mm -hmm. queerness. That's what you're getting. That's what I'm going to give you, and it's within a future scope. So、mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, nice, cool. You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, 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 very busy. Yeah. <laughs> Alec, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Alec. Thank、you
Spectrum. The beautiful music there of William Elm. Run in your face on 3CR with Yvette and James and the artist joins us, Yvette, in the studio. Yes, queer Indigenous musician William Elm and dear friend to the show. So William writes and releases his own music independently and he's got a new album out called Spectrum. Hi, William. Hi. Howdy, howdy. So that track, tell mm-hmm. us a bit about that. Uh, well, the track's called Echo. It's the first track of the new EP. It's sort of about, you know, repeating ideas constantly, 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 like like an echo, basically. Mm-hmm. Because the whole, the whole album is sort of about the spectrums of life, so spectrums of gender, sexuality, heritage, culture, spectrums of even use of technology and the way that we live and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the echo is just about ideas that sort of constantly run through people's lives that you don't really notice, but they're sort of always there. Anyway. I read somewhere that you did an eight-hour gig as part of Fringe. <laughs> is that yeah. true? And how did you do it if it is true? It is true. It was wow. part of 2016 <laughs> Melbourne Fringe. Uh, it was called Sustenance, and uh, it was an art centre. And I improvised for eight hours on a piano. It was really fun, actually. Very, uh, very intense, very physically grueling. But our I, art centre in the city. Yeah. Eight yeah, hours. Yeah, what? just in when you walk into the art centre, they yeah. have like a Play Me I'm Yours piano. Oh, yes, yeah. I've seen, yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, played that for hours basically. And, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I was just going to say, how would you even get through an eight-hour gig just playing constantly? I don't know mentally yeah. how you would stay there. Uh, a lot of meditation and a lot of... While you play? Very, yeah, I sort of enter trance state sometimes. Um, that's the great thing about uh, minimalism as well is that you're able to enter these sorts of states and not have to necessarily concentrate so hard on it because okay. you're sort of repeating ideas but sort of messing them with them slightly um, through time so that, it yeah, you can just sort of enter trance states quite easily. Well, that leads me to a question I had. So the last time you were here we talked about um, your being neurodivergent. Yeah. Um, which, do we need to explain that again to the listeners? I think so. Like, <laughs> it just basically means non-neurotypical, right? Yes. Um, how does that does that help or or hinder to stay as you say to get into a trance state? Like, uh, I think I think it sort of hinders in a way because the autism part of my brain is constantly thinking, mm. like constantly, 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 and so I have to. I've sort of taught myself over the years to kind of not necessarily switch that off, but be able to funnel it into certain things. Mm. I am fascinated by how you funnel all these <laughs> instruments and I guess going into that state of meditation kind of enables you to get into that zone one instrument yeah. of yours I am really interested in is the glockenspiel how mm. do you use it on spectrum your new EP I use it on a track called uh, shift and it's sort of a whole tone which is where all the notes of the scale are equal distance apart uh, so it's not major or minor it's sort of this weird as a real scale that's well, that was used a lot by Debussy and by the Impressionists, Impressionists of the late 19th century. And I sort of use it as this, it's, it sort of cuts through quite a lot. So I use it very sparingly in the song, but it sort of cuts through as this sort of rhythmic. Because it's quite an instrument. Yeah. Is it the only track uh, that you played on? Uh, yes. Okay, so what? Uh, okay, then bring us to <laughs> the rest of your songs on, on yeah. the album. What are the, what's the predominant instrument that you're playing? Uh, the predominant would be just keyboards in general. So mm-hmm. uh, I accordion, have analog synths on there as well, and then just general sort of road sound, uh, Wurlitzer sounds, things like that as well. But there's violin as well by uh, Jeremy Joareb. 
mm-hmm. on a couple of tracks. Yeah. You're from an Indigenous background. Yes. What's the influence of that background on Spectrum? On Spectrum, I think it's trying to find, being a sort of classical musician, you, there's not a lot of information about Australian composers. And I think finding a particular Australian sound to, I guess, promote or to sort of hone into, you know, like Björk has an Icelandic sound. Like you can listen to her and be like, that sounds like Iceland. I really want right. to sort of sound like Australia in a way. And I think that Indigenous part has influenced me in that I use a lot of really bass-heavy, droney sounds, like the yadaki or the didgeridoo as well. What's the first instrument you said? The oh, the yadaki, which is the another name for the didgeridoo oh, okay. as well. Um, but yeah, I think that sort of bass-heavy, really quite heavy sound is, is quite Australian, I think. Do you feel like you achieve that sound on Spectrum? Yeah, I think so, yeah. You just mentioned your Indigenous background, your yeah. queer identity. Yeah. How does that inform your work? Uh, I think writing about just the subject matters, slightly different, like relationships and the way navigating through the queer, through queer culture, I think, and the way it's sort of fighting against this very like heteronormative classical scene as well. Like I think even me just creating music is an act of defiance in itself in a way. Mm. So the, the classical music world is um, not known for, for its queerness? Or its activism. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe I mean, we're wrong on that. Once upon a time <laughs> no, it was. No, I don't think so. You know, once upon a time it was, especially back in the early 20th century in Vienna, it was definitely a very big queer scene. And we mm. have a lot of queer composers like Ravel and um, throughout time and Tchaikovsky as well is another famous one who was, who was queer. But um, they didn't necessarily make music about being queer. This sort of queerness was like a sort of other part of them in a way. And I feel like that part has influenced me where I sort of make music, but the queerness is a sort of an, uh, another part. But these days it sort of automatically funnels into into the music. So it's not and necessarily about being yeah, queer. Yeah, but... But queer influences how it sounds yeah, and how it's interpreted. Yeah, of course. You have a great knowledge of the history of of your instruments and 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 of your genres. Have you mm. been classically trained? No, I'm mostly self taught. Wow! In I taught myself piano when I was thirteen, and then accordion as well. And then um, I've been going to uni for the past three years as well, but not uh, not like a classical university. Um, so I have a lot of you're studying music at uni. Yeah, um, but it's sort of a more popular music-based course, so it's not classical training per se. Mm. Yeah, mostly self-taught. Well, you, you have a gig next Friday at Hairs. I'm going to get the name of it. It's Hairs and Hyenas, right? Yes. But it's called Hair, hair Hole. Yeah. Hair. yeah, that's what we're supposed Which to say kind of now, right? Yeah. The, yeah. I've got a gig at Hair Hole. That kind do, of sounds a bit... Do we definitely la la. have to say it that way now? I'm not or? sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's Hairs and Hyenas or Hair Hole. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Um, tell us about the gig. I'm assuming it's not an eight-hour long No, <laughs> no. It's definitely not eight-hour okay. It's uh, It's going to be too like sort of sets with a break in between and it's going to be me on accordion and keyboard and then also Jeremy on violin and bass as well. So it'll be sort of a duo set. And Tell I'll, us about Jeremy. Mm. Jeremy. Jeremy and I are in a band as well called Wild the Jeans where I play accordion and keyboard and he plays violin and bass. And I bet you it's a completely um, different sound to your solo It is. Work. It's sort of freak folk type music. What's that? 
sort of folk with a little bit of like psychedelic mixed in and a little bit of uh I don't know it's not just your sort of stock standard 44 um pop song it's a little bit on edge and a little bit jaunty and definitely music to drink to I think is is that type of music is that because of your collaboration with him do you write all of your pieces alone yeah I write I write all mine alone this has been this EP has been a really great collaboration because his violin parts on the EP I didn't go to him being like you must play these notes here which is very prevalent in the classical scene where it's like you go to a musician and you ask them to play exactly what notes exactly what volume exactly what time I sort of came to him with ideas of I kind of want this sound and to stretch it in this way and he sort of just improvised his parts you've got a real musical rapport with Jeremy yeah yeah we sort of have a really good musical kinship which is good does he identify as queer no Okay. No, no, and does that no. does that affect your music in any way? Like him being, I'm assuming, then what hetero? Um, it might help it actually because there's not that tension. <laughs> oh, okay. What Maybe. tension? Well, a tension of all the intersections. Oh, okay. All oh, right, I see. <laughs> Take the queer Maybe. one out. And, you okay. know, that kind of yeah. lessens the load a bit. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Does I'm, it? <laughs> I know. I've I've been learning to talk to and mix with different other people, especially over the last few years being in. A music course, like before that, my sort of whole world, it's really easy to create your whole world as queer. Like the only people that you really talk totally. to would be queer. Mm, and totally. sort of in this cute little world. And then over the past few years, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, over the past few years, I've, I've sort of, yeah, learned to mix with others, <laughs> I guess. Mm. That's not the right words. But. Interact with the allied sections yeah, of the yeah. GLBTIA. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's 10 to 5 on 3CR with Yvette James and our wonderful guest, William Elm. Check out their new EP, Spectrum, being launched next week oh. at Hairhole. Yes. And people can find you online, obviously, yeah, right? Yeah, on Facebook Bandcamp and, and Bandcamp, Bandcamp, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram. Do you have an actual website of your own? <laughs> no, not yet, Oh, okay. Unfortunately, we but... get on to that. Someone yeah. as a Christmas present or something, buy yes, you a domain. <laughs> there you go. It's really out. Or your birthday. <laughs> we had a, bit of a chat off mic about the track we're going to play. Oh, and yeah. we came up with Grace Jones, and you were kind of into that, William. Yeah, I love Grace Jones. Yeah, I figured we have a, I think I played this track maybe two years ago on this on on this show and people seem to love this song I do too anyway it's private life Chris Jones see you William thank you thanks William see ya I'm
sentimental gestures only bore me to death. You've made a desperate appeal, now save your breath. Attachment to obligation, regret shit that's so wet. And your sex life complications are not my fascination. Stage when she came to Melbourne 17 years ago. <laughs> Lost her shoes. They were on this in a suitcase marked Grace Jones. They went missing. She had to perform in shoes she wasn't real comfortable in and she fell off the stage and fell into the arms of a gay leather guy from Adelaide called Chucky, I believe. This, this, sound, this sounds like fake news. No, no, no it's not. It was, I, really? I worked for the gay press at the time and really? we just fed off it. How can she, as a superstar, what I find amazing, don't they carry 
suitcases and suitcases of, of clothes. And, and the one with her shoes went missing. Oh, she only had one suitcase of well, shoes. Yeah. Unlike Cher or something, Cher's probably got 10 suitcases of shoes and wigs. But I, I guess Grace doesn't wear a wig either, so, you know. I need to know about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grace probably wears a lot of things we don't know about. She's not wearing a wig. No. How could she wear a wig well, on that well, head? Yeah, true. Good point. Hey, we're out of here. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.